welcome to the Grace at Last podcast. Here we hope you find freedom from religion and traditions passed down by man that God never intended for us to struggle with. Let's quit looking around us and begin to look within at God in us and realize all we need is already there. Together, guided by the Holy Spirit, let's learn what God really thinks of us and discover what is pleasing to Him. I think we're going to find out it's a whole lot easier than what we thought. Hi, Corrine here for Episode 7 of our Grace at Last podcast. In our last episode, Episode 6, we looked at James chapter 4 and took a fresh look at the text to see if it's all for us to try to accomplish and to maintain in our lives. You know, research shows that 75 to 90% of all mental, physical, and behavior illness comes from our thought life. That's pretty astonishing. You know, renewing our minds is the smartest thing we can do. Isn't that wonderful that God has given us the ability to renew our minds? I wish I could renew some other things in my body, don't you? Like my bones and my organs. How about metabolism? Our skin. Wouldn't that be great? Well, God has given us the ability to renew or to make new our minds. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ, and we can learn Him and His ways as we journey through this life with Him. You know, last week we looked at some of the subjects that were kind of concerning, and we can renew our minds to see if God is speaking to you and I and what He wants us to learn. Some of the subjects were adultery and hostility toward God and enemy of God. Yeah, that's not for me. Before I was in Christ and Christ was in me, that was true. I was definitely under the dominion of Satan and his lies, but today, no way. I understand what James is saying. I think he's saying that it's either God or the world, and there's no other choice. And if a person chooses the world, that they're an enemy of God because they are under the influence and deception of the God of this world, the devil. There's a war going on. There's a war being waged in the heavenly places, and it's a war between good and evil. You and I have a choice on what side we're going to live. We come into the world of the flesh and under the God of this world, and when we by faith receive Christ, we are relocated. We are taken out of Adam, and we are placed into Christ, and Christ is placed into us. We will never be separated. Trust me, we are on the winning team with our King of Kings. And we don't need to be afraid. And if we see scriptures, which we will today, that seem to be instilling fear and anxiety, it is not of God and it is a lie that we don't want to believe that it's for us. Jesus brought us good news. All of it. Good news. And what we're about to read in James 5 is not good news. If we think this is for us, we definitely need to renew our minds with the truth of how God feels about us and his thoughts toward us. So let's put ourselves into context, which is so important when we're reading the Bible. We can't just pluck out scriptures out of context and expect to understand them correctly. In our last episode, episode 6, we talked about the certainty that James had a message for unbelievers that are pursuing the things of the world. They are after the power and the favor that money can give them. And James talked about friendship with the world and being enemies of God. He talked about God being opposed to the proud, but for those of us that have humbled ourselves unto the Lord, he gives grace. 
James talked to the one that thought that they had all the time in the world, and right now, well, they're just focused on making money. He says it's foolish. Nobody knows when their life is going to be over, and they should be ready. I am personally ready. Are you? And again, I don't think James is talking to me. And he ended the last chapter saying to the listener that, no, you know this is true. And if you continue to refuse to believe it and you know the right thing and you choose the world, you choose not to do it, well, that's sin. Personally, my sin has been taken away. And so, again, this scripture, I believe, is talking to somebody who has chosen the world over the Lord and he's telling them what the end is going to be like and what they can expect. So let's jump into James chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first three verses. So here we go. James 5 verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rested and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Can I read that again so we can talk about that? James chapter 5 verse 1. Come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. James 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. Could it be that James is still talking to those who only want to make money? Money may even be their God. In the last chapter, James told them to be miserable and mourn and their laughter turned into mourning and their joy to gloom. And now he says to weep and howl because of the misery that is going to come upon them. This isn't just crying. This is weeping and howling. Think of a wolf howling at the moon. I mean, that is extreme. That's a lot of anguish right there. And he talks about the last days and flesh being consumed by fire and the material possessions that was their God. Well, it's going to be the fuel for that fire. Do we as Christians really believe this is for us? Do we believe that this is our future? Do we really think that this is what will happen so we better use this scripture to make sure that people aren't being greedy and spending all their money on themselves? No, I don't believe it's for us. And I don't think it's a threat to Christians and it should be used to try to get obedience out of us. And I wrote a James study and I wrote exactly the opposite of what I'm saying today. I'm so grateful for this Grace at Last podcast to share the truth about the finality of the cross and that we don't need to be afraid about anything. And we don't need to buy the lie that we can take this verse personal in any way if we are in Christ because that's just not true. James chapter 5 verse 4. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Seboeth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Wow. Sounds to me like rich people using their power and wealth to take advantage of other people. Like they're mistreating the workers in the field and withholding their fair pay. 
And those people, they're crying out to the Lord. And this is saying that the Lord hears them. James says, lived luxuriously on the earth. Are you living luxuriously? (laughs) I'm not living real luxuriously. I mean, I don't need much. Contentment comes from the Lord, but I wouldn't call my life luxurious. And then he says, and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Is this you? It's not me. I'm not living luxurious on the earth and living a life of wanton pleasure. I didn't even know what that means. So I looked up the Greek word and definition for the word wanton. And this is what I learned. To indulge oneself excessively in satisfying one's own appetites and desires. To live indulgently. And the English definition means to live reckless, unreasonable, and meaningless. Again, I ask you, is is that you? I don't think that's any of us. How about the fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter part? That's pretty scary right there. Verse 6, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Does this sound like James is talking to the righteous? Or does it sound like he's speaking to someone who's putting the righteous to death? I must tell you that the entire section of this part of James was directed to Christians in the study that I wrote. And it's a very common teaching. In fact, it's the most common teaching that I have heard in the church for the last 20 years, that James is a book on how Christians are to live after they are saved. And that's why I am bringing it up. That's why I'm making it a point. I want the Grace at Last podcast to expose the lies of the enemy that are keeping God's people in captivity when the prison doors are open wide. James 5 verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. James 5, 7 through 11. So he goes on to talk to those that are waiting for the Lord, maybe the righteous that are crying out to the Lord for justice and James wants them to know that the Lord hears them. Hang on, be patient. The Lord is coming and the coming of the Lord is near. And then he uses Job as an Old Testament example of being patient and encourages those waiting for the Lord to be patient also. And then he says in verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. James 5.12. In other words, be a person of your word. Shouldn't need to convince people that we are sincere. We should just do what we say we'll do. Realize other people move and plan according to what we say we're going to do. And so we want to be reliable and honest. This is good advice, James. I'm not sure it's above all, (laughs) but it's important. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. James 5, 13 through 15. Well, if you've had any exposure to this verse, you know that this is kind of a big deal in the church. We've made a big thing over this. People in hospital beds are calling on the elders of the church. The elders are anointing them with oil and obedience and believing that if they all just have enough faith that they will be healed. And if they didn't get healed, well, it was because they didn't have enough faith. An elder is just somebody that's older. An elder is not just found in the church. In fact, there are elders everywhere. There's elders in the Rotary Club and elders in Indian tribes, elders in the faith. It just means, again, that they've been around longer. But we've made it this thing that we have to call on the elders, ones with these honorary titles that have had a certain training and that they have more power and more anointing and more favor with God. And if the person being prayed for just has enough faith, well, they can pretty much bank on their healing. After all, they've checked all the boxes, right? But if we take note of the end of that verse, we see that he's speaking to one that has not had their sins forgiven. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. All my sins have already been forgiven. Mine are not the will be forgiven, but the have been forgiven. There are no special Christians that need to carry the burden of being an elder and going around all of the hospitals because we are all the body, each and every one of us. We all have a part and we can offer a prayer in the faith of Christ and we can pray for one another. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced fruit. That's James 5, verse 16 through 18. You know, so a lot of times in the church, there's a lot of talk centered around confessing our sins, and here we're told to confess our sins to one another. And the word to pray for one another. And just like James, he goes into the Old Testament to make a point. And he goes back and he talks about Elijah. Why does James always go back to the Old Testament? Well, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. All those incredible letters by the Apostle Paul, well, they hadn't been penned yet. And so all James had was the Old Covenant to go back to support his point. Verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's James five nineteen and 20. Again, this clearly speaks to a believer about an unbeliever. That a believer has this incredible authority to pray for someone that their sins may be forgiven and their soul would be saved. I think that is wonderful that you and I have this kind of authority to share a, a message of redemption in Christ and that one can say yes to him and no to the God of this world and the wrath of God that was never meant for man. This is definitely good news and that is our message. It is a message of hope. It's not a message bred by works and self-effort. It is a message of love from the one who lives in us. 
Let's not muddy the water with our righteousness. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag unto the Lord. It is the righteousness of Christ that makes us acceptable to the Lord, and we are definitely acceptable to him. Well, that's it for me on James, James chapter 5. And again, even though for approximately 20 years, I believe that every word in the book of James was for me and my application, I see today that's just not true. And renewing my mind with truth, it's going to bring freedom that God desires for me and in my life. I don't need to be worried about if I'm accumulating too much money on earth and if it's going to cause destruction when I answer to God. I can have the joy of the Lord and I don't need to think that I need to be walking around in misery and gloomy because in Ephesians 1.3, God tells me that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What could be gloomy about that? I don't have to be concerned about any of this being a future judgment for me, no matter how much money I do have or I don't have. God is not against money, and he's not talking to Christians about money. He's talking to people who have rejected God because they love money more. He's talking to people who are taking advantage of others because of what their money can do for them. I don't have to be concerned about living too selfishly or too fleshly. This is not a message for me. I'm not doing these things because the Spirit of God in me, He leads me to live differently than this. The Spirit causes me to want to help others. He causes me to want to relieve pain and suffering if I can and to bless other people and to not live selfishly. He leads me to bless for no reason at all. They don't have to be starving in order to be a blessing. The Spirit wants me to contribute to the things that He brings me. But it starts on the inside. And there is nothing but good news in the gospel. In fact, that's what the definition is. The gospel is good news. And down through the ages, I had adopted a mindset where my behavior, whether good or bad, seemed to occupy a lot of my thinking. Being a Bible teacher for over 20 years put a lot of knowledge in me. And I wanted to be obedient to all of it. Of course, nobody can, but I was trying just trying to obey God. You know, verses like Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. They were real familiar to me. And I wanted to show Jesus just how much I loved him. And today I understand believing and obedience are synonymous. And in the Bible, they mean the same thing. And to be obedient is to believe God, period. I can't add to that and I can't take away from it. You know, but Making good choices and living under the Lord, it is certainly a life that will bring blessings. Sin is hard. That is a hard life. And also, you know, when it comes to subjects such as teachers and elders and sin and who has the most faith and healing and all of that, I think if we don't have it in context, it can promote spiritual pride and that people think that they're more spiritual or holy when they live more conservative or more sacrificial or they think they have more faith, or maybe they think they don't measure up to those that are the super Christians and the ones that are so spirit-filled. This is about Jesus and what he did. And if we keep our focus on him, we're going to live under his grace. And if we focus on ourselves, we're going to live under law. So that pretty much wraps up the book of James for us. I've sure appreciated the simplicity of trusting God and not having to figure it all out. And I don't have it figured all out. And I'm not even trying anymore. It's what it is. And as God leads me by his spirit, 
I'm going to be where I need to be. I'm going to do the works that he's called me to do. I mentioned earlier that you may not really be familiar with these verses, and if not, and you plan on learning more, beware of teachers and speakers with an agenda. You and I have all we need inside of us if the Holy Spirit is in there, and the Holy Spirit will bring understanding. We don't need another person to do that. And if you are familiar with the book of James, well, you may have heard some untraditional things today. You might be tempted to disregard them and me, but I encourage you to look at them and ask yourself if God could possibly be talking to his kids in all of that. Is that what God really thinks of us? I don't think so. I'm sticking with this and I'm making an issue over it because people get so offended over this little book trying to protect it. My question is, are we listening to the words? Are we putting them in context? Do we, the redeemed and forgiven, need to live in fear, keeping a watchful eye that we don't get out of balance and enjoy our stuff too much? If this is God's message to us after he's moved into our hearts, how is that good news? Is fear on how God wants us to act, is fear how he wants to motivate us to get us to obey, or does God want to lead us by his spirit inside of us to trust him? Here's the truth. We're good. Actually, we're perfect. Jesus made us that way. Hebrews 10, 14 says that by one offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. No judgment, no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Christ. Sin has been removed from our account. And when Jesus returns, he is not going to be bringing that up because he has forgotten about it. He promises us in Hebrews 8 that the new covenant comes with a promise that he will remember our sins no more. Seems to me that the church has become kind of an extension of Judaism and the traditions that the Jewish nation lived by. What do I mean by that? Sometimes the church can make water baptism, which was John pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited king, and turn it into a rule for the church. Some say if you don't get baptized in their church, you're not even saved. The church has told us that the house of God is the church building, then we're supposed to gather there. But in the New Testament, we're told that the house of God is us, that God dwells inside of us, the believer. We've taken the Sabbath, which was a day of the week of rest, and it pointed to Jesus in the new covenant, offering a perpetual rest, not a day of the week. And we made it into a law, and we hold one day above another. Sunday is my day for God, family, and rest. But in the new covenant, Jesus, every day is a day of rest. Those things are a perpetual inheritance. They're not a day of the week. We've turned tithing that was for the Levitical priests into our modern-day pastor requirement, and we all usher in on Sunday morning to bring God his 10%. And if we don't, we're robbing him. We make tithing a rule, and the New Covenant says that we should give what's in our heart, not under compulsion, but to give freely and cheerfully. As the Spirit moves, we give. But the church has set up this bar that even the first 10% doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to God. And then if we want to give an offering after that, well, then that's optional. That's not what the New Testament tells Christians. We've never been told that any of that is directed toward us. I know I'm probably getting a lot of people irritated and maybe misunderstanding me that I'm saying 
that you can't trust the Bible. I'm just saying we need to understand timelines in the Bible and timelines in our lives. We need to know that every word written in the Bible is for us to understand, but it's not necessarily for our application. I think it's pretty clear that the author is speaking and pinning a message that will bless every reader, no matter where they are in faith. And we can't say that one book is written to one group of people. I'm overflowing with joy about the new covenant, but at the same time, I'm saddened by Christians and the way they think God feels toward them. So many are in such bondage. What are we spreading about him to others and the next generation? Trying to help my grandkids know that God loves them, that he's pleased with them, and that he's never been mad at them, and that he never will be. Jesus brought us together with God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now we can enjoy this journey called life, and we've got happy and sad times, successes and failures, ups and downs, and everything in between. And, and through it all, the Holy Spirit is walking with us. That's the message. It's a message of grace, not just saved by grace but that we can actually live by grace and we can trust the spirit in us and live out who God created us to be. I hope my grandkids know that. Someday we're going to be fully united in heaven when this earthly life is over. It's good. It's all good. It's nothing but good. So help me, God. This life here on earth is good. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be good because God is good and every good gift comes from above. So there's the wrap-up on James. I pray you heard and learned something that tells you how loved and accepted you are in Christ. And I hope you join me next week as we look at Grace at Last, Episode 8. And we're going to talk about some timelines and make sure we understand the age in which we live. And until then, I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Thank you so much for joining us today for our Grace at Last podcast. We hope you learned a truth that will set you free and keep you living in the It Is Finished promise Jesus declared at the cross. Go to lastministry.org to learn more about who we are and what we're all about as we share this incredible inheritance God has given us in His Son.